Okay. <clears throat> so this week, uh, the podcast format is going to be a little bit different uh, than probably what everyone's used to, or at least what we're used to, um, our regular format being. Uh, this is because uh, we, Chris and I just had completely different schedules this weekend, um, So, I, which I'm surprised this is the first time that's, uh, that's actually happening, because based on just how uh, busy I've been and how busy he's been, I would have expected that <clears throat> we would have ran into this problem earlier. But uh, no matter, uh, because we can both record when we find time to, and uh, sometimes sometimes that's just uh, the way to do it. But it also allows us to remain consistent uh, while also kind of uh, having to address the projects we're doing. Uh, Chris is shooting his uh, one of his short films um, today, uh, or he has been all this weekend, so I'm really looking forward to... Uh, getting in touch with him after after he's completely done and kind of getting his thoughts on the project, what went smoothly, what didn't, maybe uh, what kind of things he learned from shooting his full length or any subsequent shorts that maybe he brought into this one that made some difference, maybe something he noticed this time that he would like to bring to the table next time, that, that sort of thing. Um, I, I think uh, a lot of... A lot of uh, getting getting good at something is simply just getting the reps in. And so, uh, you know, this is going to be a, a, another example or another case study, basically, where Chris can kind of assess what he's doing well so he can amplify that and then also, you know, what maybe needs improvement. <clears throat> and, uh, and I'm sure there will be a lot of great insights uh, in that. Um, and then meanwhile, you know, I <laughs> I was kind of unavailable during the week because not only did I have my normal work week, but also I was having uh, car issues, which nobody nobody likes to have. So I kind of had to deal with my immediate needs first. So uh, I think what, what Chris has uh, for you this week is he has an interview with one of his uh, actresses. I, I'm not sure if people say, like... I'm sure people say actresses anymore, but is it more uh, polite to just call them all actors? Like, like kind of like uh, stewardesses. You know, I don't, I don't think people say that anymore. Uh, so I'm not one of one of his uh, cast. I guess I guess we could say just because I'm looking for the the most correct term. Uh, he has an interview with, and and this particular uh, person, this woman, has a pretty. Uh, impressive resume and a pretty impressive career. So I'm quite sure that there will be a lot of really uh, kind of fun, fascinating things uh, that they talk about. So, so after this uh, segment here, uh, that's where that's where Chris will be. Uh, uh, he's he's already got the interview. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet, but I, uh, this is the first time that then I won't have heard the material that will be uh, posted. Uh, on our our normal time Monday at uh, eight a.m. So, uh, so uh, th- this time, like a lot of you listeners, I'll actually be tuning in uh, on my drive to work Monday morning uh, to to listen to the material myself. So it's it's uh, interesting. It's it's fun. It's making me uh, feel like I'm just a, a listener as well. Uh, so so I kind of have just some some separate things to 
talk about this week. Um, but first, I, I kind of wanted to uh, have a little bit of a digression from kind of the normal content that we do uh, to sort of talk about something uh, that's that's recently been on my mind um, because Chris and I were talking about you know different books and I was reading Principles by Ray Dalio and then we were going going to talk about uh, the Tipping Point um, and so I had another book recommendation but this one isn't actually um, I wouldn't say it's related to the content of the podcast in a direct way uh, this is a work of fiction so it's not it's it's not you know nonfiction business advice or uh, you know, self-help or anything like that. It's, it's so this is kind of a, a little bit out of the scope, um, but it's it's probably it's in my top five favorite books I've ever read, um, and it's just a really great work of fiction. So I I highly recommend it, and I was I'm doing a reread right now, uh, so I I thought I would suggest it just in case any of you uh, listeners haven't read it yet. Um, I'm talking about uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy <laughs> by uh, by Douglas Adams. Uh, it's I I read this book just about annually, um, and I know why that is. It's because I uh, my family used to go on uh, a hike every Easter. We used to hike Picacho Peak just outside of uh, Marana in Arizona. And uh, I remember the first time I read this book, I was maybe, I want to say 13 or so, uh, maybe my freshman year of high school, some, somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, and I remember I was reading it d around Easter time, so much to the point that uh, I was so engrossed in it that I was reading it in the car uh, while we were driving to Picacho Peak, then we did the hike, and then I kept reading it as soon as we got in the car uh, after the hike, which is something I absolutely can't do now. I get so carsick. <laughs> um, so I don't know how I was doing it then, but maybe I just didn't notice I was that into the book. Um, uh, and and to give just a short synopsis, or not a synopsis, because I, I you know, it, it's a really easy read. It's, uh, I'm, I'm holding it now. It's about 200 pages like seriously a really quick read although it is part of a a series of books i think it's total five books maybe um but in my you know humble opinion only the first three are really good so you know that's kind of where i i <laughs> that's kind of where i cut it off but um it, it's this great book about about this uh this guy arthur dent uh who is just having some you know, uh, problems. He's he's on Earth and he's having having some problems with uh, local government, and they're going to bulldoze his house. And he's very, you know, he's protesting and all that stuff. And he finds that uh, one of his really close and and, and this isn't a spoiler because it happens in the first you know ten pages or so. Um, he finds that one of his one of his uh, really good friends is actually an alien from outer space, and he says that uh, they need to get the hell out of there because the Earth is about to be destroyed and so all of a sudden arthur dent finds himself uh in outer space with this guy that he thought was just like his oddball friend but is actually an alien and um and he's and you know basically he the book is about him adjusting to to that you know that <laughs> massive difference in life and i think it's a it's a really great 
book just sort of for uh, perspective, at least for me, um, because it it takes a minute. Like as as uh, I think Patrick Park, the the songwriter, once said, um, you know, it, it really kind of puts you outside and makes you makes you think about just how strange it is just to be alive at all. You know what I mean? Like we're uh, I'm especially you know sometimes. Uh, really trying to get more out of life and be more and have more importance and do, you know, whatever. But this is a good little exercise, almost a meditation, you know what I mean, in uh, taking a step back and uh, just kind of appreciating and enjoying what you what you have around you and, you know, the universe that we live in and how, how you know, kind of strange nature is just in general and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and it's it doesn't, hurt that it's also a really funny book it's it's written by a, a pretty uh you know humorous british guy so so i i really recommend it absolutely do not watch the movie the movie is terrible like i cannot believe what they did to one of my favorite books um it was also a bbc series and that was okay you know uh but but really just read the book don't watch the movie don't really watch the bbc series i mean if if, if you've already read it go ahead so it you know, can't tarnish your opinion of the book, but, but, you know, I, I just wanted to throw that book recommendation out there real quick, just because, uh, I'm reading it right now. And, uh, and I think, uh, if, if some of our listeners haven't already read it, I think you might appreciate it a lot, especially if you enjoy, uh, mine and Chris's, uh, style of humor. Uh, I also apologize for, you know, the constant sniffling and stuff. I'm having terrible allergies right now. Um, so it's causing me quite a bit of uh, discomfort, but I'm trying to keep the audio as clean as I possibly can. Okay. So, um, got that out of the way. Uh, and now just kind of, I had planned a little quick talk. Um, and, and this might be a little bit more, uh, uh, self-helpy or uh, a little bit more hippie-ish than our normal material. But uh, like I said, this is a departure from our normal format just for a week. So, you know, maybe uh, I decided, you know, to be a little bold on this. And, and if uh, our, you know, if you listeners l- like this kind of content, then, you know, maybe I can make more time for it or maybe I can put more energy into it. If not, then, hey, <laughs> you'll never have to hear it again. Trust me. Um but I wanted to talk about something that happened uh, pretty recently, and kind of uh, the my my take on on certain things. So I was asked to give uh, a talk to graduating high school seniors from my old high school, and the reason why that was is because I graduated top of my class in high school. So I'm sure they think that they can glean a lot of, or you know, I, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what their what their entire purpose of that is because I think they're having a lot of people talk to them. Um, it's kind of it's going to be right around the time when you know some people are applying for colleges or blah blah blah. These people are graduating. What are your plans for after graduation? All that kind of stuff. So I think they just want to do their due diligence and. Um, you know, have a, have a bunch of, uh, speakers do, do, you know, whatever. And this, uh, this kind of seemed like a daunting task to me only because I know high schoolers are such little assholes. Um, and I, uh, so, so that makes me nervous to talk in front of them, but I think I actually have, um, some pretty cogent 
advice. Uh, but I think it's it's kind of mired in a lot of stuff that perhaps the administration wouldn't like me to say, only because it it doesn't follow the the kind of the message that they're trying to you know put out there. Everybody go to college and you know. Um, like you can try your hardest and things will, you know, come back to you and all that kinds of stuff. And, and while I, I think that's true, I, I definitely um, value education very, very highly. Uh, but I, I think definitely part of my, how do I, how do I want to say this? Part of my struggles with, um, struggles with kind of entering adulthood and, you know, career building and that sort of thing. Uh, part of my struggles with that are, are sort of based on the kinds of ideals that, that, uh, you know, high school guidance counselors or, you know, uh, representatives of universities will, uh, it, it, I'm not saying it's responsible for that because of course, you know, uh, no matter how uh, high the gate or laden with punishments, the scroll, I am the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my soul. You know, like only I can be responsible for, for uh, myself, you know, and the decisions I make. So, so, you know, I would never blame anyone else, but, but I think the advice that a lot of counselors or a lot of people, a lot of parents even give is really incomplete. And that's sort of where I think, uh, a lot of people such as myself, our perspectives are go- could be very helpful to uh, kids who are kind of becoming adults and trying to find careers or go to university or that sort of thing. Because we are not at the end point yet where, you know, now we see everything in hindsight, we can you know, kind of wrap everything up in this nice summary where, you know, oh, everything ends up working out. I'm kind of right in the middle of it. Um, so you can kind of get more of, I guess, a pragmatic approach to, to what, what decisions kind of the impact of, you know, decisions right out of high school and, and finding the right thing for you and all that kind of stuff. So, so I'll, I'll kind of, I've been introducing this for too long already, I can tell. Um, but my perspective on it is that I graduated top of my class in high school and I got into uh, university and I immediately started working on a science degree because my father has a science degree and my mother has a PhD as well, you know, and, and that just sort of seemed like the route. Like, I don't know why, but I, I think because of lack of exposure, that's honestly the thing. Because of lack of exposure, my worldview was kind of narrowed to believe that the way that you get a comfortable life or the way that you get, uh, you know, financial freedom or, or, you know, that sort of thing is to get a PhD in something very technical like science. And, uh, and then that's your career. And that's not, not true, but it also isn't appreciating the fact that, these days, there is such a because everybody goes to college, and because there are so many people with bachelor's degrees, there's a higher demand for uh, for PhDs, and uh, there's also a higher supply then of PhD candidates. More people are applying, and more people are doing PhD programs for fear that they, you know, can't uh, 
they can't be competitive in the market outside of having, you know, a more and more technical degree. And so what that ends up doing is only really top candidates get selected for PhD programs. So what happened to me was that I was obviously very qualified. I was a straight A student and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't have the kind of drive and the kind of, you know, I hate to use the trite term, but uh, passion that they look for in, in, a, in a PhD candidate. You actively have to really believe in these burning questions about, you know, this particular field. Like for me, you know, a, a neuroscience, somebody who's selected for a neuroscience PhD program is somebody who actively thinks about like, oh, I really am curious about the uh, impact this one NMDA receptor can have on, you know, whatever, stimulus control, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and, and I didn't have that. I, um, it became quite clear during the process that, that I was doing it for other purposes. I was doing it because I wanted to be able to have a family and provide for them and, uh, and, and be successful and make money. And I was not considering at all you know, kind of, or, or I was considering, but it was, it was kind of like phoning it in. It was like doing the job that you know other people want you to do. And I think this translated to other universities. I think, um, I think they saw sort of, uh, you know, okay, well, this guy obviously is good at school, but, but I don't think he will, you know, be able to persevere because he doesn't really have passion for the work. And you know what? I think they're absolutely right. I think they were definitely right. Um, and so I kind of fell off and I, uh, I, uh, you know, I was rejected from, from a PhD program and it caused me to kind of spiral a little bit because I had always been given everything. And I know that's not the most attractive quality in a person, but you know, I had, uh, I was always really successful in school. And I was charismatic enough that I never had a hard time making friends. And uh, professors really loved me. And I got into university and I had a full ride scholarship. I had never met any resistance until I was denied acceptance from a PhD program. So I had never had enough failure uh, going into this to know how to react, how to respond. And I responded terribly. I quit. I never applied for a PhD program again. But moreover... It, because it would be one thing if I just never applied for a PhD program. That would have been fine because I honestly, I look back at that and I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I, I didn't even want that. So it's like, why did I spend the money on the applications? You know, because they're, they're not cheap. Um, but I quit. I quit on a lot of stuff. I, I thought, you know, I gave into my imposter syndrome and I, I thought that, you know, they had really found me out that this whole time I had been uh, been fooling everyone into thinking I was very intelligent and very uh, capable. And I thought they had found me out. So I, I kind of gave up. Um, and I, I got a serving job, and I kind of got into the serv service industry. And uh, I think Chris and I have referenced that on the podcast enough to where, you know, we don't really have to go over that career. Trajectory, at least. But... 
as I was saying before, you end up being able to see things, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. This is where I think a critical point in my growth happened. Because even though I was sort of giving up on, you know, myself as an intellectual, I didn't give up on an idea that I wanted to be successful. And so I was, I'm, I've always been used to sort of, you know, bumping ceilings, making sure I'm the best at everything. Whatever I do, I'm, in that sense, I'm competitive. And sometimes uh, it can be, sometimes competitiveness is a really great thing. But uh, in some ways it can be pretty negative and annoying as well. Um, so whatever I was doing, I wanted to be the best at it. And so I quickly found out that I had a strength because most of the reason why I was successful at school wasn't because I went to office hours and it wasn't because I, you know, had study buddies and all that kind of thing. I am just really, really good at reading information and storing it in my brain. That's it. You know, there, there is no secret to it. That, that was my main weapon. But I discovered through serving, bartending, etc., that I had another, uh, another kind of superpower in a sense, or, or like a, another really, like one of my, one of my strengths. And that's that I have a, a black belt in jibber jabber. You know, I was able to convince anyone of anything. I was able to sell anyone anything. Um, I routinely, you know, I, I got pretty uh, notorious at my, at my uh, place of work for selling rounds and rounds and rounds of tequila shots to, you know, people you wouldn't even think would be drinking um, just to pad my checks, just to add a little extra to the bill. And um, it, uh, I discovered through that that I was able to kind of grow even in a place where you would think the the – capacity for learning is very small. But I was able to grow there because I was allowing myself to stretch out of my predefined notions of what somebody must be to be successful or what the most important things are, or even what skills I must possess instead of the ones that I already have and the ones I can, you know, take advantage of that I wasn't appreciating the full picture. So, I mean, this is a very rudimentary, I'm kind of just saying this off the cuff, whereas I have a more sort of prepared speech, in a sense, for um, the high schoolers. Um, but I think there's a lot of value in that, that you have to, and, and I know Chris and I have talked about getting out of your comfort zone before, but um, I think it, it comes down to this... Um, it comes down to this uh, quote by Miyamoto Musashi, this uh, really <laughs> ancient times samurai. So obviously I would be super into it. <laughs> but he says, uh, know the way broadly and you will see it in many things. And, and I'm sure that's a, a I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me. I'm, I'm just kind of, again, going off the cuff. But you kind of have to let yourself stretch a little bit. Don't let the preconceived notions of you know, what is a successful person or what did my parents do or that sort of thing kind of lets you narrow your focus on what you're doing. I think ultimately 
if you do something with enough drive and enough confidence, you can turn anything into being successful. And I know this sounds really self-helpy and, and you know, I, I do listen to a fair amount of Tony Robbins and that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm trying not to go that deep on this because, you know, that's not really what we do on this podcast. And I want to be a little bit more pragmatic and a little bit more helpful. But I kind of, you know, in the event that maybe we have some younger listeners, um, high school to college aged, I, or, you know, actually anyone, maybe if you're just even looking into a career change, um, I think it's really, really important to stretch yourself a little bit, to, to get out of that comfort zone and, you know, just have belief that everything is a learning opportunity because I really kind of held myself back for a long time thinking that I was a failure because I was doing something that, you know, wasn't in a prescribed path or trajectory. Um, but out of that, I gained confidence. I gained confidence in my ability to sell, which then has since then subsequently translated into many things. Essentially, you know, getting back on track, you you never know what is going to end up being really pertinent and what is going to end up re being really important to your progress. Um, so I, I guess what I'm trying to kind of throw out there, and this, this is <laughs> the culmination of all my, you know, bullshit positive thinking and all that, but um, if you view everything as an opportunity, you will kind of develop an unlimited potential, not necessarily for making money. I don't want to throw that in everyone's head, but, or becoming, you know, famous or anything like that, but you'll see unlimited potential in growth, in, in lessons. Um, and, and that becomes pretty invaluable. So, you know, for, for high school kids uh, graduating or for, you know, very early college students, it may sound like it's going to, you know, kind of take you off the path a little bit, which used to make me all nervous <laughs> um, because I, I didn't think I had time to waste. I thought, well, if I'm going to be a doctor, I better, <laughs> I better start grinding right now at age 17 and not let off the gas. But my recommendation is seriously take a gap year um, and do the things that you are kind of only able to do now. You know, I'm, uh, I'm 26 right now, so I'm, I'm still super young. Uh, and I remember when I was 17, I definitely didn't look at 26 as super young. Um, but that perspective changes with time as well. Um, and not just because I want to make Chris feel better for being fucking old. <laughs> but um, take a gap year figure out, you know, both who you are and who you're not. And uh, you'll, you'll be really impressed at how that will accelerate your growth and development. Um, and I think ultimately, just gain competency in something, no matter what it is. Even for me, it was, I had to gain competency in, <laughs> in serving of all things, but that translated to selling. And then once I gained competency, I, I gained confidence, which then allowed me to kind of believe that I could be successful in the way that 
I define it now. And from there, that I could get what I want. It was just a matter of, you know, going out and getting it by, you know, if I have to read some more books, great, I'll read some more books. If I have to take some certification courses or if I have to go back to university, great, I'll do it. But just the belief that, you know, I can, uh, it goes a long way. So uh, this rant ended up going a little bit longer than I was hoping. And I didn't have Chris to rein me in or uh, make me, you know, stay stay on, on track. So I really hope that this isn't wholly intolerable to our listeners. But um, again, feedback, please. Uh, if you if you like this kind of stuff, I can be a little bit more organized, and I can I can deliver more more material like that. If you absolutely fucking hate it, hey, uh, you know Chris might hate it too. <laughs> and uh, I always I always really enjoy the normal podcasts we do as well. So uh, you know, hit us up on Twitter, send us an email, whatever. Um, but also really enjoy this uh, this interview that's coming up after. I know I will, and uh, hopefully Chris and I will be able to reunite next week and uh, go back to regularly scheduled programming. Uh, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> you pop your peas? Pea I do. That's what I, whenever I would, uh, you know, cut a commercial, I was usually a character. For some reason, I don't have kind of a, hey, I'm a star voice. So I would always, I would play the characters, which, which was fine with me. Uh-huh. But yeah, I was always, okay, don't pop your pee this time. So I kind of formed a technique where you kind of pull the pee back in. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what is wrong? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with popping the pee back in. <laughs> it's very difficult to do, but it's, it's a good, uh, what's it called? Parlor trick. Parlor trick? Uh, <laughs> Arler trick? <laughs> so, yeah. So, here we are. Thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Betsy Bruce, and my history in Tucson was as a radio DJ for about a decade on KRQ, then a little bit on Kim FM, and now I'm a writer for Tucson Lifestyle Magazine. Very exciting. How'd you get into the whole radio world? Chris, it actually hit me like a light bulb. I was walking down um, a street in downtown Chicago on my way to um, Great Expectations, a video dating service where I was the videographer. Oh, okay. And I was listening to a couple, married couple converse on the radio and they were going back and forth and they were having the best time. And I thought, that's it. I can do that. And I also love music. So the pieces fell into place. I knew I couldn't break into market number three, even Uh though I tried. So I ended up here in Tucson, market number 66, and got my start. Oh, very cool. So you went to school for videography or? No, I, you know, I was just too young. I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. So I have a degree in liberal arts from University of Wisconsin, Madison, Badgers. Go Badgers. Yeah. My dad was... um, you know, in this day and age, I almost think it's a good time. Uh, young kids might not be ready to make that transition from high school to college. You know, mm-hmm. take some time off uh, work and figure out what you'd like to do. But at that time, my dad said, you know, everybody no. in this family, I'm able to afford an education, tuition. So it's going to prove to a person um, 
a potential boss that you have the determination to stick it out for four years and, and get a degree. Yeah. I mean, uh, my co-host that's not here today, Atish is very uh, open about not starting college right away. Yeah. He wishes he didn't start that. right away because he feels like he got cornered into a market that really wasn't what he wanted to do when he grew, grew up, grow, exactly. when he grows up. Yes. He's still growing up. He's very immature. I, I agree. I mean, what, how old are these kids? Uh, 18 years 18, old? Yeah. I was 17 when I graduated from high school. Oh. It's like, what? Did you graduate early? Uh, I was born in the summer. So like I, I was 17. What does that like, have to do with it? I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, I graduated in May and like two months later I was 18. Yeah. And so. And did you go to, on to college? I went to the U of A for a minute. Okay. I tried the U of A for a little bit and then I went to Pima to do. Their program at Pima at the time was way more hands-on in the film department. Nice. And it was less theory. And I didn't want to talk about movies. I wanted to make movies. So I went to Pima and. As soon as I was done with Pima, I got a job at Channel 4, KVOA. Wow. And worked my way up and decided news wasn't for me. Yeah. And now I'm out in the freelance world. And now news is for nobody. News is for nobody. News is just awful. I can't even pay attention to that. But Chris, what, uh, from my experience, uh, technology in radio, just in the time that I was in it over the decade and a half, amazing development. Was that true of... Film too over the oh, course. Oh, definitely. Of- as soon as I uh, left film school, that's when all these HD DSLR cameras that do pictures and videos came out. But being a pretentious film school student, I was like, "That's not going to stick around." And it totally is the only thing everybody uses. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, I'm working on a TV show tomorrow, and that's all they use are these DSLR cameras. But I was very stubborn back in 2006. Amazing, amazing. You know, I have a question for you because. Nobody I've, I've spoken to has ever been able to explain it to me, but I loved, I don't think it's on the air anymore, but Project Greenlight with mm-hmm. Ben Affleck and um, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Right. But there was such a huge decision to be made as to whether um, the creation, the uh, project would be on film or on video. Right. So why is film that much more expensive than video? Film is more expensive because uh, you have to process it. So you, you shoot on your 35 millimeter film or 16 millimeter, and then you send it off to a processor and then they dip it in all the chemicals and whatnot. Wow. And then they print a negative, not a negative. They make a negative and then they print a print so you can see what you shot to see if you actually got the correct exposure and whatnot. That is so old school. It's very but that's, old school. The quality is noticeably better. Well, film is more... Uh, forgiving than some digital cameras are film captures more light in darker places. And it's, it captures more information, in really bright places that sometimes digital just blows out and it's either really white or it's really black and digital. Whereas in film, you might have some range to play with it, to bring those details back. Interesting. So not that it's, I think where it's getting to the point where it's really hard to tell the difference, the way yeah. digital has really come up over the last 10, 15 years. But film is definitely uh, like a throwback to how things used to be made yeah. back in the Hollywood days. Exactly. The good old days. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of enamored of all things Betty Davis and Elizabeth Taylor and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. It's all good stuff. That's what I'm fashioning my performance on, on the film that we're, we're working That's right. On we're together. making a film together. Yes. A buddy cop movie. I know. I love it. You scripted it yourself. And I had no idea you had a script writing talent as well as being a uh, film person. You got to write sometimes. You got to write something to shoot something. Yeah. It begins with the word. Chris, what, what is your uh, uh, 
thought process when you are scripting things, because in my mind, the key to really good dialogue is making it sound human, for lack of a better term, unscripted. You don't notice the script because that's the way two human beings would exchange ideas, conversation, whatever. I mean, there's such um, difficulty to that, to make it sound natural. Right. Well, a lot of that, I, I kind of rely on actors to pull that out a little bit. But w when I write a scene, I try and think of the intention of the scene, like what needs to happen for, to move the story forward and kind of what will these two people say to each other to help move the story forward? What will they reveal and what will they not reveal and all yeah. this other fun stuff? And then I write down like the basics of it. No character voices in mind. I just get the story elements out. And then I go back and I'll, re I'll rewrite for one character and then I'll go back and rewrite for the other character and then I'll see if it makes sense if, when they talk to each wow. other. That is really interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so we're going to start filming. Actually, I think we're going to be wrapped on our production the day this airs. Tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're pre-recording -re this. Yes. Because we're going to be busy that weekend. Yeah. We wanted to do it live uh, in between filming the different scenes, but that would just be too much. Right. Schedule would not call for that. Yeah. So I have a question for yes, you. Yes, Chris. Living or working in the, being a radio personality. Yeah. Uh, how was it being basically open every day for how long? Oh, wow. Two hours, four hours? That is such a good question because I went into it, you know, I didn't realize it, but I was listening to um, some unbelievably talented people in Chicago. Chicago, I only knew retrospectively, was phenomenon, phenomenal for its radio personalities. But I thought, well, that's the performance level. Mm -hmm. But the bar was set very high, right? But I do remember thinking that I really wanted um, – not to, there was a cliche female radio type and she, in my mind, revealed too much about her personal life, okay. necessarily her romantic life. And also there was a female personality who would laugh at things that wasn't necessarily, that weren't necessarily funny, simply to fill the air, to supplement, to buoy whatever the headliner had to say. Cause it right. was always, you know, male in charge and then the, the female was the second banana or the news person, whatever like that. Mm -hmm. So Chris, I went into my career saying, pledging to myself, I was not going to laugh at anything that wasn't funny. And I was not going to reveal too much about my, um, sex life. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's yeah. commendable. But it, it almost became like a, a running joke because some of the guys that I worked with would would try to use kind of subtle ways to get me to reveal certain things. And they became a, a running bit. And it was, it was actually kind of funny. Um, I, I think you remember, I actually, I worked with Jimmy Kimmel back in, yeah, 19, for two years, Jimmy Kimmel did radio here in, in, in Tucson. It was Mike, um, Jimmy and Betsy. I don't remember that. Yeah. But the, the crazy thing is we didn't start off on a good note because I was told that it was going to be Mike and Betsy uh -huh. and Jimmy would be the producer. Oh. Well, Jimmy came in and how can somebody with that amount of talent be a second banana or anything? So it was Mike and Jimmy and I was relegated to doing the news again. Mm. But um, he was, I, I just, I paid strictest attention to how his mind worked. 
and he's got great writers now on all of his shows. But um, the genesis of all that creativity is inherent in that that guy. Uh-huh. And he helped himself to as much airtime as he wanted. He almost made himself the lead of that show. And he wasn't particularly friendly, um, but there is almost, I think, kind of you, what you give up in creativity. You have to be so focused on making it big that sometimes your social skills aren't all that great. Right. And I found that to be true. Sorry about that, Jimmy. I, I, congratulations on all your congratulations on hosting the Oscars this last two years. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Wasn't that a great job? I think, I think he's done a really good job as a host. These last two years have been really good. Chris, he has gotten his writers just to walk that perfect line of little jabs Mm -hmm. at these incredibly powerful actors and actresses. And still they smile. It's never unkind or cruel it's just it's kind of funny yet still a little pointed right and i think that's that's one of my favorite forms of humor so that's awesome yeah so you you set these parameters or these you know this what would you call it this uh my personality your on-air. uh your on-air not limitations but yes restrictions i don't know yeah and but you still had a you're still talking with people and oh, yeah. how many people are listening Thousands of people are listening. Yeah, I know. I didn't think about that. Um, when I was at KRQ, we were definitely we were always um, number one or number two, uh-huh. right? We were always the top rated show usually, um, and it, it was very different because when I was in the studio, the intimacy of the studio, I wouldn't think about that. I wouldn't, you know, psych myself out if I if suddenly started hearing about this. But it was a very strange. Um, circumstance to have a mom come to me and says, you know, we listen to you, me and my kids listen to you on the way to school. And we just love your strong personality and you stand up for women and you're so funny and talented. And that was kind of, um, if I heard that too much, that was almost a little bit scary Uh because, you know, I had to, I wasn't going to be cowed into being a more demure woman and, um, when I did get a chance to work Mojo and Betsy mm-hmm. back and forth, um, you know, I was swinging for the fences every day on the show. I wanted to be funny. I wanted to be intelligent, insightful, all of that stuff. Uh-huh. So, so while, while you're doing that, while you're, you know, creating your, your being, you're living your radio personality up to its full potential, you're not thinking about everyone listening in their car. I, no, I really couldn't. Mm. And every once in a while, Chris, I got to tell you, um, I had to be talked off the ledge. When uh, a guest or, well, let me, this, this example, I think kind of does it for me because I'm not, I'm not good at, at criticism. And so we were interviewing Sherry Lewis, who is the woman, the puppeteer who had lamb right, chop, right? right? right She's right. old school. Forgive me. Cause I know a lot of people listening. Um, actually the person listening, you're all supposed to be very intimate with your <laughs> listenership. I know you may not be familiar with Sherry Lewis, but she was old school and she had lamb chop the puppet. And we had, we had a pretty nice interview, but I always like to ask um, celebrities questions that they probably haven't been asked before because mm-hmm. I put them myself in their shoes thinking, oh my gosh, they must be so bored, right? So I said to Sherry, I said, do you ever knit little sweaters out of lamb chops wool? Whoa. And she said, that's the stupidest question I have ever been asked. <laughs> and you know what, Chris? I was crushed. But see, we're, we're laughing now because it's really funny. Yeah. And we played that back as a promo. 
you know, Mojo and Betsy, they know the right questions to ask. That's the stupidest question I've been asked. That's pretty funny. You know? Yeah. Wow. But yeah, Mojo had to convince me that that was a great reaction. That is a pretty good reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because she, she's been doing it since what, like the 30s? I don't know. She absolutely. seems she's been around since black and white TV. Yes. I don't know if she's still with us, but no, she isn't. Okay. But she isn't. Lamb Chop was around for a long time. Yes. And you always thought of her as very sweet and kind of acquiescent, but apparently she didn't like uh, off the record comments like that. About her? Yeah. Her lamb. <laughs> her lamb. <laughs> so yeah. you said you were talked off the ledge several times. Yeah. Were there any, were there any, uh, like tips or tricks you did to stay, keep it like feeling intimate and not so much this outward experience? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, Chris reveled in the, um, listening. I was a good, I was a good listener and that would help me focus because, you know, obviously, um, I never knew what, what content I was going to get from Mojo or from Omelette or from the new guy. But if you train yourself to listen intently to whatever substance they afford you, and then you're, the computer of the brain works quickly to try to find the funniest angle, the insightful angle, angle or how to um, make that moment fatter. Always, I was always looking for meat instead of gristle. Uh-huh. So that allowed me to really kind of focus and enjoy the challenge of filling that four or five plus hours with really great content. Right. Yeah. That's a long time. I know. But then again, you know, there are a lot of commercials and we didn't play. We play. Oh my gosh. With Mike and Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel, Mm -hmm. we would sometimes play only three songs an hour because Jimmy liked to talk that much. Wow. That's a lot of talking. I know. I know. He was good at it. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I do find myself uh, trying to put myself out there more. I feel yeah. like doing this podcast is a big step for me, kind of trying to get out there more and talk more and just be more upfront as opposed to in the back. Absolutely. And just, uh, you know, overcoming that fear. It's uh, it's nice to hear that there's still things on the other side for someone that's always open and out in public. Oh, To kind of just reel it back in to make you feel like you're in an intimate situation. A- absolutely. Yeah, I never really kind of thought of the... I mean, I loved um, listener input, and it was almost always positive. But, yeah, the art of of conversation is something that people appreciate other people knowing about them and asking about themselves. And that's such a great thing to keep in mind just in everyday life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can't even stop myself. I see somebody with maybe a, you know, a tattoo that I want an explanation for. Right. And people love that. A lot of us are too shy. We're afraid of what the reaction might be. Mm -hmm. But if you do kind of take little steps each day saying, hey, I'm interested in you. What does this mean? Why are you doing this? People love that. Another little game that I, well, I didn't make it up. You have uh, lunch or dinner. Okay. And then having known the server, for about an hour, you have everybody at the table try to, just from their personality, try to ascertain what they aspire to be. It's a little bit dangerous because, you know, what if they aspire to be a server? And Right. But, you know, that's another challenge. How do you back yourself <laughs> up out of that fine mess? So you're out to dinner with a group of friends. And yes. you all have this game where you pick yes. what the server wants to be when they grow up. Yes. Okay. Just from the, the interaction with them um, over the last hour. And, you know, you can 
it's it's stereotyping, yes, but the server I've been playing it for years, and this not a single server has ever said, "How dare you?" Mm-hmm. They love that you are interested in in them, and you're going to just look at them and say, "Hmm, you know the way you engage this person, I'm thinking you're going to be a lawyer, I'm thinking you're going to be an artist or you're you're a musician and every every once in a while you get it right, but most of the time you what don't. do you think your uh, percentage is i I would say somebody at the table, and I usually dine with you know four or five people. Maybe one out of every five wow. asks. Yeah, that's not bad. Somebody hits it on the head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a fun game. It is. It is. Can you think of a name for it? Mm. Ask your server. Server service. Mm. Server it up. Uh, I don't know. But you know, in this day and age, servers are. Some of them are career servers. Some of them are. Of course, which is not bad. No, I think it's great. I think it's commendable. Yeah, you can definitely. It's a hard profession. Oh, my gosh. Have you ever been a server? I worked at Skyline Country Club as a banquet server. And that was fun, but not really. No. And then we also had fine dining, like formal dining. Yeah. And I always had the biggest section. And the menu was always blah, 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 hoity-toity stuff. It was just like. You had to describe the specials. Right. I had to memorize the menu. And I always had, there was one night I had 20 tables. The other server had two. I was like, why, why? That's an honor. I guess so. But it was, I, just, they, I wanted you, to go home early and I couldn't. You, you literally had 20 tables <laughs> mm-hmm. and the other person only had two. Right. That's, that's an amazing act of keeping all of the entrees and appetizers in the air and dessert. And dessert, man, that dessert cart was a pain. Oh, you had to describe each of the different. It was on like this weird. It looked like a giant cross on wheels with two giant shelves. Giant cross on, on wheels, and it, was, it had shelves, and it was like shelves in the middle and then on the sides, oh. and then you'd roll it out, and it wasn't built well. Were the um, the desserts also made in Japan? You know, out of plastic, oh, so they wouldn't melt. I wish no. They were all made in house by the pastry chef, and she okay. usually did a really good job. Yeah, but oh. but it had to be like. Uh, caramelized sugar fans on creme, creme brulee, something or other, and something or other cups. And it was always fancy. So fancy. It looked really good, and we couldn't eat any of them. Which well, was, which how was, were you supposed to sell them if you didn't know what they tasted like? I don't know. We did. Oh, well, I'd like it some was, creme brulee right now. <laughs> right about now. Uh, I can have very little creme brulee. I have a hard time digesting it. So I Do have you? like just one. Yeah. Never more. Chris, I always just, uh, I'm like a bull in a china shop when it comes to eating things that I shouldn't eat because, yeah, I think I probably eat way too many carbs and I get a stomach ache, but way too many, I, oh, I can't make it through a day without eating some cheese. Yep. Love cheese. Yeah, I can live without it. Wow. What's, what's the one thing that you couldn't live without each day? Ooh, probably coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need my coffee every Me day. Too. What kind? I'll do just black with a little bit of cream. I'll just brew, do you brew it at home. Brew it at home. Okay. I don't go crazy, fancy, pour over, whatever European press, yada yada. I do right. just. Do you grind your own beans? No, I, I buy Kirkland. Oh, okay. Just because I go through it so often. No, that's good. That's good. That's a good price. I love the uh, price cut. Price and the quantity and the quality. It's, I think it's pretty solid. Crazy. But I like going to these. There's a lot of. Uh, Coffee shops here in town. There's like EXO right down the street. There's mm. even the Thai market over here has very good, mm-hmm. uh, just straight up coffee. Yeah, I I have to. Well, I I grind my own Starbucks beans. I have an espresso maker. Oh, 
But you know what's crazy? When I was doing the morning show, I would go, I would get up pretty much 2.30 in the morning. I'd make it all the way to the studio mm-hmm. about a half hour later. And then I would make my coffee. Now, you know, I'm You're even in this day and age, <laughs> I make a beeline to my espresso machine. Right, <laughs> right. So you're up that early? Yeah, because I had to. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I had to write the news. Oh yeah. wow! I did the news. You too. had to write the news. Uh huh. That's amazing. Well, <coughs> this is what happened to me too when I was doing the radio show. <coughs> excuse me. So I would do the news, and I'd like each newscast to be you know fresh and updated. Mm-hmm. So I was constantly, I, I wrote everything longhand, believe it or not, because I was constantly, you know, updating, updating things. Updating all that right? stuff, right. But I was taught a, taught a really simple formula that the first line of the story, boom, has to grab the listener in. Mm-hmm. Second story, you know, the details, and the, then the end, the third line, just close it out. So I wrote with that formula the entire time, and I ended with a, a kicker story where I could really kind of include my creativity and try to get a chuckle in there, something, you know, ridiculous. Uh But um, I still have, Chris, those half sheets um, from 9-11, the morning of 9-11. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And I was just scrambling, you can imagine, because there were so many words out there that I didn't even know. Sorty Mm -hmm. and all, all, well, no, that's when we went and we attacked them. But yeah, the I still have that stuff from 9-11. Wow. I think we all remember that day where we were. Where were you? I was at the U of A. I was on the mall. And I remember walking by this girl crying. She's like, my dad works at the, the World Trade Center. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This is oh. – it's close to home too. Did you find out if her dad survived? I, I didn't know her. She was just walking past. It was in the, the mall and it was just super crowded. Yeah. I didn't know her. So. Wow. Amazing. I have no idea. But, yeah, I had a little tiny TV in my dorm room. And I remember seeing the news. It's like, I got to get to class. And I got to class and – it was a crazy day. Did did the classes maintain? I didn't. I don't remember not going to a class. Yeah. I don't remember the classes being canceled. So. Yeah, I had a a friend who um, believed in was it is it um, is it Nosferatu? The, the vampire. No, I'm thinking of another kind of Latin-y name, where whoever he wrote it centuries ago, and now it's all coming true. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Nosferatu, I think it's the original vampire movie. You're right. And somebody mm, out there knows who I'm trying to think of. I have no but idea. He wrote a whole book about premonitions, except he used this kind of language where you can kind of read into it whatever you please. But I remember my friend Jeff Davis, who was also in the radio industry, took me aside a couple of weeks after 9 11 and said, Look at this. Two giant towers did Whoa. crumble in the city of heathen such and such. And I was like, I, I'm sorry, I just made fun of him. But he believed it, that, that it, right. this had been, 9-11 had been predicted uh, centuries ago. That's a crazy coincidence. Well, the entire book is filled with coincidences. Is it still going? Yes. we got to find this book out. I know. What? Oh. <laughs> now I'm feeling so silly that I can't remember who it is. Because it's a famous prognosticator like a da vinci from yeah, hudson Hall? yeah something like that not quite that famous but okay yeah that's fascinating by the way uh i like the way you got your ceiling painted speaking of da vinci oh uh i didn't paint it somebody Wait. else painted it Chris, no. is da vinci the, the sistine chapel no that's michelangelo oh my da vinci was Gosh. 
Leonardo da Vinci. Isn't that from the Tom Hanks movie? You- <laughs> <laughs> da Vinci Code? <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. Also, Hudson Hawk with Bruce Willis. I don't know if you remember that movie. I remember, yes. And he was da Vinci's hang glider. I don't remember the last scene. You are good. And the church had like a secret uh, spy organization. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Hudson Hawk was a terrible movie, but so awesome at the same time. Isn't that there? Sometimes, Chris, there is nothing better than a really awful movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I, of course, I can't think of an example, but, oh, I know what you're talking about. Hudson Hawk is pretty. All the henchmen trying to kill Bruce Willis were named after candy bars. There's like Snickers and Butterfinger. That's really pretty creative. Yeah. Yeah, I Right now, I am halfway through Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, okay. But I've seen it a gazillion times because that might be an awful movie that I enjoy watching. Have you seen it? Uh, I think I saw it once. Yeah, and once was enough for you. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Kubrick asked uh, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise to speak in this very staccato pattern. And it's so uh, unnatural mm-hmm. that it's, you can't quite figure out what the reason was for that delivery. You know, mm-hmm. do you remember that about it? I remember it just feeling just awkward. Like you were watching like the ship crashing or sinking. Like, yes. It felt like that. Like he made them bring up all these feelings they've been holding down forever. Yes. And it just brought up this whole awkward energy. And it was just oh, so awkward. hard. That is the, that's, interesting to watch. Yeah. Yeah. That's the perfect word for eyes wide shut. Awkward. Cinematically. Oh, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Yeah, it looked it really had, good. Yeah, around Christmas time in downtown, downtown New York. New York is New York. Mm-hmm. New York is downtown. Gorgeous. Yeah, it was eyes yeah. wide shut. Eyes wide shut. Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. Right before he checked out. So let's see. What else is going on? So we're going to work on this project together. We've been working on this project together. Exactly. And I thank you very much for uh, affording it to me and your casting is absolutely brilliant because hey, you're perfect for the role. I'm definitely old enough to have a 21 year old son. No, a 28 year old son. And, uh, the best part is that Harriet gets to kick some, can I say ass on a podcast? Sure, yeah. Kick some ass. Kick some ass. I get to beat up four big muscled guys. Boom, 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 boom. And yeah, I'm up to that challenge too. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So have you done much acting before theater besides your radio? I, the, one of the biggest thrills of my life was getting a part, uh, when I was a freshman in high school, it was Thornton Wilder's The Happy Journey to Trenton and Camden. And I played the daughter and I was just thrilled, Chris, but the only problem was I couldn't try it for pom-pom. Oh. Yeah. That was very important. mm, Yeah. Two things happening at the same time, but that's okay. And, uh, but what I... Uh, really kind of blossomed at was improvisational theater. Mm -hmm. I was working with uh, mostly kids who were one or two years older than me, and the troupe was called Impulse. And every day after school, we would work for two hours on developing this talent, feeding off of each other, of taking something and making uh, the direction sensical and entertaining. Did you follow the rules of improv? Oh, yeah. And I remember thinking, how can improv have rules? Right. But, Chris, they become so ingrained in you 
That's just how you live your life now. Exactly. That you forget that you're working with that skill set. And you know that helped me in in radio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. What are the rules? Something? I know one of them is say yes to everything. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, It was... Maybe that's the only rule that they follow. That that might just be it. But you can imagine it was the strangest feeling when we would do um, shows. You know, we would look out and we'd usually do a theater in the round. And so there'd maybe be 100 people there. Um, and then we had, we just knew the, the genre of the, the skill set that we were going to use, mm-hmm. right? We had nothing else planned. And it usually worked out well. But it was almost like, a, you know, a team sport. Because, you know, you didn't want to let your teammates down by your lack of prowess. Improvisation. So, yeah, yeah. It really, you, you went into it psyched up, almost like an athletic competition. Yeah. Man, good times. I've never done improv. I don't, oh, I don't think I can do it. But No, you could. You could. Because it is, yeah, believe it or not, it's a skill set that you can develop. Oh. Yeah. I'm not going to say anybody can do it and be good at it, but you can, yeah, formulate, put these puzzle pieces together, work on these exercises and you become more creative, more instinctive, more go with the flow. Yeah. Because you're probably triggering those parts of your brain to constantly be in that mode. Yeah. To fire. Pew, pew, pew. And you know, the the nice thing about um, improv is that whatever character you're given or you create for yourself, it can be bigger. You can make it big. Right. Right. Because you're looking for humor first and foremost when it comes to improv Mm -hmm. second city in Chicago, all those guys have gone on to Saturday night live. Right. So the bigger, the better, which is easier than a subtle performance because you have to admit you've been making me reel in Harriet, my character. I have because my instinct is to go big, Big, which is nice, which not a lot of people do. Well, it's nice to be able to work with. A lot to okay. whittle it down I, into something. That's nice. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. yeah it's it's going to be a fun thing. And um, yeah, we've got an official actor playing my son, Steph. Yeah, we have a legit actor. I guess he's in a commercial. I don't remember what for. I know. I know what commercials he's not in. <laughs> uh, I don't remember. The, I think maybe a toothpaste commercial. Or am I making yeah. that up? I don't, I, I don't know. I know he was going to be in a bod commercial, that yes. cologne spray, but then they canceled the cologne spray. Yeah, which you don't even have to describe how good looking he is because if he was um, going to be in a bod commercial, you kind of get the idea that he's a good looking guy. Right. And yeah. an Under Armour, something or other. Yeah. But, yeah. But apparently has a national campaign running right now and I don't know what it's for. Oh my gosh. We've got to keep our eyes peeled. We'll have to have someone else bring it up in conversation because I don't think we're allowed to ask. Really? Well, I don't know. Isn't that rude? Be like, hey, what was that one thing you told me that I don't remember? Oh, my gosh. I have I would have no qualms about that. No, you can ask then. There's certain things that I, I can't ask, but that wouldn't be one of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. But no, I'll ask him. Okay, okay. Yeah. We'll get to the bottom of this. Absolutely. And we'll let everyone listening know. And Betsy, thank you so much for your time. Chris, it was a blast. And I hope... Um, the people listening to this podcast will look up our film. Oh, definitely. Check out uh, my uh, Facebook page, Elephant Scout Films, and we'll have trailers and behind-the-scenes footage and pictures and stuff. So you can yeah. see our process on creating this film. Will you uh, explain the name of uh, the company? 
White. Elephant Scout? Yeah, White well, Elephant Scout. Uh, it's kind of not the greatest story. But, uh, Uh-oh. But, you know, our mutual friend, Otto. Yes. So years ago, we were going to do our own little production company. And she was going to do website marketing stuff. And I was going to do film stuff. And we came, she had this idea for the, a name called Web Puppy. And it's with a I-E, not with a Y. P-U-P-P-I-E. Yeah, yeah. Uh, web puppy. I and like so that. we did that for a minute. And then it's, it was really hard to get off the ground. And of course, you know, she has her family to take care of. And so she was like, I can't do this. I'm sorry. So she went and got grown up jobs and she's doing great. Yes. She's always she been is. around. She's, she's super awesome. awesome. We love Autumn. And so things got rolling for her and she was like, hey, let's try this up again. Like I have the itch to be creative again. And so we were like, sure. So we, we, we did this job for this spin school that was downtown yeah. um o2 fitness or something like that okay and the lady in charge of it was a performer marketing logo designer ah. and she was like hey can we work for a trade you know i'll design a logo and come up with your branding and all this other fun stuff nice. if you give me a little discount and so we did and so we tried going through all these names and autumn really liked this name story seeker and I'm like, yeah, that's great. But we looked it up and there were a million story seekers uh-huh. out there. So then the lady was like, hey, pick your favorite animal. And then we'll pick words to go with it. And so yeah. uh, my favorite animal is uh, an elephant. Yes. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Bobby's World, the Howie Mandel cartoon from back in the a day. A little bit. Yes, yes. And his dad was in this club. I don't know what kind of club, but it was an elephant-themed club. Yeah. And their theme was, an elephant never forgets a friend. And they would do, like, elephant trunks with their arms. And I was awesome. like, elephants are really cool animals. They are magnificent. So then uh, Autumn picked, uh, let's go with Elephant Moon. And I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. At this point, I think names are really hard. I think names and titles are really hard. Oh, yeah. And so at this point, I'm like, that's great. Let's go with it. But then another former co-worker, I guess, or friend, or I don't know what to call him, started his own company that had the word moon in it. And we're like, oh, nope, not going to do that. So then we looked up synonyms for seeker and we landed on nice. scout. So we landed with elephant scout. I, I love the name, but yeah. I, it's a crazy story. It is a crazy story. I should come up with a more uh, what's creative story. No, right, what's right. in a name? It's almost like, you know, film companies sometimes lead you to believe what they're about. And other times I think it's very much like a, you know, a rock and roll band. Right. You can name it whatever you please. And as long as the content's good, people are going to follow it. Agree. Agree. No, I think it's awesome. Yeah. Have you seen that, um, the elephant sculpture made out of car fenders outside of Reed Park? I think I have. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's a good one. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, good times with the elephants. I know. I don't think you're a Republican, but you know. No, I'm not Republican. No, I didn't. I had to work on a, a Weather Channel show a couple of weeks ago. Did you? And this lady was uh, telling her story about how she got lost in the desert, but she was super Republican. She had like Tom shoes with the Republican logo. Oh, what? Yeah, uh, you know, like no, the, no, no, no. Yeah, Tom's makes a Republican logo. I don't know. They're like legit Tom's. Yeah. I don't think Tom's would send a pair of Re- Republican pattern. That doesn't yeah, work in Africa, my mind, but who knows? Which might be pretty funny. I thought, man, this lady's really Republican. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which I, I know we've got to wrap it up, but you know, one of the most confounding things in my mind is um, political conventions. Mm-hmm. Why are these crazy delegates wearing sparkles and spangles and things that make them look 
rather idiotic. Right. When, you know, politics is supposed to, it's, hey, it's the backbone. The, it's all about the country and guidelines and rules and making ourselves better. And here are these rather goofy-looking people waving flags and, well, oh well. Well, that's the, what is that, First Amendment? That is. That's right. They're exercising their First Amendment rights right. to be goofy, which is fine by me. Go America. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Creativize, Strategize, and Synergize. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, share, and leave a rating. We'd really appreciate it. You can find Chris on social media using the handle at Elephant Scout. You can find me with at Atish Mazish. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter with at CSS Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at cscottcreate.com. Thank you so much.